Okay, good evening. Good to see your faces. Greetings from Texas, down south. Greetings from my brother, Pastor Jason, and Leah, and Carson. Um, my wife, Gosha, and Caleb, um, they send their greetings and their love to you. Um, for just a couple minutes, Pastor Schaller asked if I would just share a few introductory words. And I'd like to just talk to you about um, something that we're going to be doing, Lord willing, uh, after Eurocon. And you can see the map up there, but I have a little story to tell about this. And how's everybody doing tonight? Good? It's good to see you. Um, We know that in the last few weeks... um, Last few months, there's been a lot of activity in the Middle East. It's been a real target of political narrative and um, something that the, the Lord has put in our heart as a church in America and Texas is that we would have a bridge to the Middle East, Texas being oil and gas. And when we moved there, we thought maybe God would give us a bridge to the Middle East. I feel like that uh, the gospel has gone around the world and now it's coming back to the Middle East, where it started, and our prayers have been, Lord, gets us open a door, and he's opened some doors, and we took that trip to Iraq, and uh, we would like to go again, but because of the situation there, we're not able to go, uh, and so we've been talking and thinking about where the Lord could send us, and last week, um, I had the privilege of meeting a Palestinian who is a born-again Christian, and he's a pastor of a, of a small group of refugees and uh, a church there in Amman, Jordan. And uh, last night we had a prayer meeting, and thank you to the Normans for opening their house for that, but we had a prayer meeting and with Arto, and um, we just discussed about the opportunities, what God is doing there with Pastor Mati, and we had some prayer. And we just discussed about um, this door that the Lord had opened. And I had always wondered, you know, you see what's happening in Gaza, you see what's happening in that part of the world, and you wonder, is there a brother or a sister there in the middle of all of that that is crying out to God, that is looking for God's favor and grace? And uh, somebody through somebody sent me some information that there was a brother uh, from Amman. He's, he's part Jordanian, and he's a um, Palestinian, a Jordanian-Palestinian from the West Bank originally. And he was going to be in Houston, so I was invited to go meet him, and I met him. We talked, and he began to share about what God is doing in Amman. And so what he does there in that part of the world, and Amman is, Jordan is a, a very interesting country, it's different than the other Arab countries around it just because of its historical context. But there is um, a lot of refugees that are coming in from Yemen, uh, from Syria, from Iraq, and they're all landing there in Jordan. And he began to share with us how he got saved. There was a Kurdish refugee from Iraq that landed in his area and led him to Christ. Can you imagine that? And God touched his heart, and he was pastoring a church in Amman. He stepped down as pastor, and he 
um, with the purpose, and his, his associate pastor, his assistant pastor took his place, and he said, I want to focus on evangelism and discipleship and starting a Bible school for these refugees. And um, he would tell stories like there was one man that he had shared the gospel with, and uh, he got saved. He was from Yemen, and he was discipling him, and uh, his wife was very upset that he had gotten saved. And every time he would come to this, this, this man's name is Rami, and he said every time that Rami would you know, go to visit this, this Yemeni disciple of his, his wife would leave the house. And one time as she's leaving, he stops her and says, just give me a minute. And he shares with her the gospel, and she just blows it off, walks out the door. Next morning, 5 a.m., during prayer, uh, she's getting her prayer mat out, rolling it out, and she gets on her knees ready to pray. And suddenly there's someone behind her that hugs her from behind and says to her ear, in her ear, don't ever do that again. Don't ever bow down again, ever. And in, you know, in, the, in the Muslim culture, that's very inappropriate to do something like that, especially in that situation. And so she jumps up, looks, there's no one in the room, and it's dark outside because it's 5 a.m. She runs over to the window, opens it up. Maybe somebody had come in and come out. She opens the window, and there's this incredible light and a voice from heaven that says, says the exact same thing that this brother Rami was saying to her about salvation, receive the free gift of salvation. And she was so astounded. She receives Christ, calls him up, and we just hear these stories. Now she's in this church, and we hear these stories of what God is doing. He'll take a busload of, of refugees. He'll fill the bus, and he'll go to Mount Nebo, which is about an hour and a half or so from Amman. And he'll take them to the top of the mountain, and he'll and these are refugees, these are Muslims that are very acquainted with the first five books of Moses. And he'll go through the panorama, he'll talk about the five books of Moses, point out Christ in every, in every part of the book, and then he'll talk about Joshua. And then he shares the gospel with them. And most of the time, many of them are getting saved, and then he'll bust them back. And we just see that God is doing something. And he said to me, he said, we have a lot of humanitarian organizations that are sending money and food and gifts and things for, for these refugees, but we don't have any teachers. We don't have teachers. We don't have people that would take the time to sit down and talk with these people who are just very hungry for the Lord. And he just shared with us, he said, he said, he said I live in a land where Jesus walked, and he had his ministry. And these are the Bible lands. This is... This is an area of the world where the Bible was written. And there's so much more information about Jesus Christ and who God is in your country. And he said, there's so little information here. He said, there's, there's, there's very, very little information here about Jesus Christ, the one who lived here, walked here, served here, died here, rose here. And he asked, he said, would you please come? And so we're going to go, we're going to teach, we're going to teach in the morning and teach in the afternoon in his Bible school. We're going to be visiting refugees. Uh, we're going to be going into some places, this will be three or four days, and there's a map up there behind us that shows us where these places are. This all just came together. We've been praying for quite a while about what the Lord would do, and I just sense that God is really in this, and this could be really a beginning of something beautiful where we are meeting people that are that are coming 
that are showing up, that are asking big questions about salvation. Because in 2014, in the rise of ISIS, there's something very unique happened in the Islamic world. There began to be, as people began to observe the, the radical Islamic ways of ISIS, and some of the war that was going on, that's going on in Syria with the Sunni and Shia factions, and all of this carnage and, and horror, there's a general turning away from, in people's hearts, from Islam, understanding that this is, this is not making sense. In Egypt alone, I heard a statistic that there's 5 million Muslims that have turned away from Islam and now have just become non-believers, agnostic. This is a time, and this reminds me of the time in the Soviet Union, right, be, right during the time of perestroika, when there was a, a huge national disillusionment with the, with the government and the philosophy of politics. And we're seeing this in the Middle East now, that there are people that are wanting to know Christ. They're seeing visions. We've heard the stories. And so we're going to go, and we're going to go by faith. We're going to go right after Eurocon. If you'd like to go, we're going to go. And I'm taking um, a couple Bible college guys with me, and that would be great if, if you'd like to go. Something that I was thinking about very briefly is, as Pastor Shallow was speaking this morning, is that we see the gospel in words in the Old Testament. And we know the story, the book of uh, Don Richardson's book, uh, Eternity in Their Hearts, where he's taking stories missionary stories where missionaries are going into the bush, into these secluded places, and they're finding keys to the gospel that are already in their culture. So a missionary could just point to that and say, that's the gospel, that's Christ. And the same thing with words. And I'd like to just briefly read a, a verse to you. Je- Genesis chapter 17, we read this verse where when Abram was 99 years old, 17 verse 1, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am almighty God, walk before me and be perfect. And I love that because God is saying to him, walk before me, presence, relationship, communion, knowing one another, deep communion. Like we heard this morning, it was such a great message about the intimacy and genuineness that we can have with God as we walk in the light and there's no condemnation. He says, walk before me and be perfect. That word perfect is a key to the gospel in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Because when we read that word perfect, we're thinking a moral sense. Don't sin or be better every day or just be sinless. And in the Hebrew mind, and I'm not Hebrew and I'm not in any way a, a scholar on the topic, but from what I understand, in the Hebrew mind there is a sense of holistic understanding that the word perfect is a word that means in the Hebrew it's T-A-M-A, T-A, I'm sorry, T-A-M-I-N, tamim. And it means to be whole, to be healed, to be complete. It's a finished work word. It's a word of the gospel. And this word we find, tamim, is from a very, very old word, proto-Semitic, which is T-M-M. And we know in these old languages they didn't have vowels in the words. And so this Hebrew word speaks about perfection, maturity. It speaks about wholeness, being a whole person a whole, in a holistic sense. And God is saying to Abraham, you're going to be the father of many's faith. And this is what this means. Walk in perfection, wholeness. Walk before me, and you're going to be perfect. 
Walk in this relationship, and you're going to be healed. You're going to be whole. And this is what, this is what we see Jesus say in Matthew chapter... He goes on in Matthew chapter 5, verse 40, 48, and Jesus says, Be ye perfect, right? Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect... Then he says in the, same, in the same situation, but in another gospel, Luke chapter 6, and just look at the way these words, the way they sink together. Jesus is saying, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Same context, same situation, same audience, different words. Perfect, in Jesus' mind, is pointing to the word merciful. Meaning, if you can be merciful, if you can receive mercy... If you can walk before me, receive mercy, and be healed, become a whole person. When we fit, it's not talking about sinless perfection, but but when we become perfect, this is another word in, in Hebrew. It means it also means to be blameless. But this word we find in many other languages, the same word. And I'm gonna I'm gonna finish there. We find this word in many other languages throughout the Middle East. And it says tamam. And if you're a Turkish speaker, and I don't speak Turkish, but if you've been to Turkey, you hear very often people say tamam, tamam. It means okay. It means that's good. Done deal. It's, it's complete. That's a Turkish word that comes from this, from, this old, from this old Semitic language, to be perfect. In the Turkish language, there's a gospel word there. Tamam means to be a complete, <clears throat> a blameless sacrifice. We also see this in Arabic, Turkish, Farsi, Urdu, Hindi, Bengali, Pashto, Punjabi, and Sindhi. I've checked those words. I've asked people that speak those languages to make sure. And it's, it's either it's, it's tamam or it's a little bit of a variation vocally of that word tamam. And this is the gospel that's pointing at a perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. That is, that is through Abraham. Abraham set, lays his son down. And, and obedience to sacrifice him, a picture of, of the father sacrificing his son. This is a picture. When we talk about the Old Testament, when we talk about the gospel, when we share the gospel with someone from the Middle East, we can use this word and say, tamam, tamim. It's completed. The work is completed. The work is finished. And you just need to believe and walk in it, and you'll be perfect. Amen? So pray for that trip. I know this is a week of prayer. That's really exciting. Be praying for this trip. Pray for Eurocon. Um, pray for the Ukrainians that are coming. Thank you for this church's support for all the Ukrainians that can come. We really appreciate that, and we love you very much. All right? God bless you. Well, yeah. Okay. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Nice, sweet. Wow. Pastor Chris's word was good, wasn't it? About uh, Iraq and Jordan and hearts are, our hearts are burning about that, thinking about it. And then just looking at the crowd here, Pastor Ramir, thank you for your work on recovery, the great work you're doing. Thank you very much. And your, you know, calls and, and care for people. And Pastor Sleva does it. Pastor Love, uh, calling people, caring about people in the hospital and, and people at home. And uh, the, the ministry does so much for helping people 
um, that may be sick or shut in and those kind of things. Beautiful. Uh, Pastor Barry flew down to Florida to be with Pat Lynch and Jen and the family because Pat's dad passed away. And I mean, the amount of things that are done in a week. I mean, I get exhausted just thinking about it. It's amazing what happens in one week in our in our church family. Uh, the lunch today was um, was awesome. We had um, you know pasta, salad. I was just dreaming about it after I ate it. Just <laughs> twice, I ate it twice, and because uh, I don't get fed at home, so I, I know I'm joking. That's my way. No, hey, 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 hey. Uh, Pastor Gary flew in from Iowa, and he's back home in Illinois. Kathy is so happy to have him back. Um, also, how many of you are going to go to Eurocon? Would you just stand up just so I can see? If you're going to go to Eurocon, just stand up for a minute or two. Yeah, well, in two weeks, we're going to be going... Wow, thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. Amen. Thank you so much. And others, if you want to go, jump in. Uh, Nothing's stopping you. You can go. And uh, you are very welcome. And pray about it. Okay, so uh, we we have Pastor Justin from uh, Fed Hill is going to share. And we want to also uh, say, I'm so happy to be with my son in the work of the ministry. I mean, we are honored, answered prayer, and I know many of you have a similar, uh, Pastor Steve has, Pastor Shibley, uh, many of us, you know, we just have, and we just can't believe it to be able to say we have the same heart. Isn't that beautiful? The same spirit. And the Fed Hill Church is such a big part of our, the big church. I don't know what they call, they call us what? The big church, I think. Mothership or, <laughs> you know, mothership. Big church. And, and uh, they, they plan to go to Idaho this summer on a summer harvest out there in Idaho. Uh, also, they, they plan to go to France. I have a joke with Giovanni. Wherever I go, you know, I turn the corner and there he is. I mean, and, you know, it's so funny how he does a lot. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we are, we are thankful. So praise the Lord for that. And Josh, Josh, you want to do uh, just your hand up in the air? Josh Harris, Forest Hill. Last night, there's Josh Kinney, too, here. There's Josh's everywhere. <laughs> Josh here and a Josh there. Uh, but in Forest Hill, with maybe 30 people on Saturday night, and Josh is pastoring and preaching and teaching and caring for people. Thank you for that. Yeah, praise the Lord. So welcome, Justin. Okay, hey, good evening. The big church. You would think we're like preschoolers. It's like the best we could come up with. What do we call the main campus? 
the big church. Sounds like my four-year-old came up with that. No, thank God that we have a ministry that is um, going out and, and doing the work. Isn't it great? It's amazing. And Josh Harris up in, where's Josh? There he is. So planning a church in Harford County. And just to think that it can be undervalued, can it, in the sense of preaching and teaching the Word of God. It can be so undervalued because there's not a line out the door of people waiting. They're waiting to go see a movie or see the football game, but to hear the Word of God, um, people aren't necessarily lining up to be taught the Word of God. But God has His people. And God puts people in, in front of you and don't underestimate it. Don't, we don't undervalue it, but it's tremendous because the word of God does not return void. Amen? It doesn't. The other thing I was thinking, too, actually driving down here tonight is that for maybe parents with um, children that are teenagers or young adults, <clears throat> God is the one who is going to open their eyes. That not it amazing that we can see very clearly because we see the light and we are able to see clearly who Christ is and how amazing the body of Christ is. And we're like, why don't they get it? Because it's not naturally discernible. Like Jesus said to the Pharisees that the light is in front of you. The problem is not the light. The problem is that you don't have the ability to be able to see it. It's the eye. It's not the light. But we believe that God is gracious and merciful and he will open the eyes of people so that they can actually see who Christ is. Right? It's amazing. All right, let's open up with a word of prayer and then we'll just share a brief word. So Lord, we come to you tonight and we are just so thankful that you have been gracious to all of us. Not one of us deserves your love, your salvation, but you have given it to us and you have opened up our eyes. And we're thankful for that tonight. And we just want to just humble ourselves so that we can be under the word. And like we just heard from Pastor Chris, that word, that word is what the Middle East needs. It's what the United States needs. It's what Baltimore needs. And it's what we need tonight. That wherever we are in our relationships with work, with discontentment, with unbelief, whatever it might be, or just discouragement, Lord, that you are one that is continually giving us grace. And we just ask that these words can just go into our heart and quicken us so that we can see what has been gifted to us and what our rights are. So, Father, we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know that in Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, be filled with the Spirit, that that is a continual filling of the Spirit? Have you ever drank water, and you drink water and you go, I'm good for a week? I'm good. I just drank the water. Hey, two weeks ago I drank some water. Or I drank water a year ago, five years ago. I've been a Christian 55 years and I've drank in the water a lot. I don't need to drink any more water. But the moment we start breathing oxygen and drinking water, we die. And the moment that we stop being filled with the Spirit 
and we stop understanding the necessity of being filled with the Spirit, we can get parched, can't we? We can get parched. You know, a lot of answers are just simply being filled with the Spirit. You know, I can hear a message on forgiving 70 times 7, and I'm not filled with the Spirit, and I go, I know that, been there, done that. And I think I've already forgiven that person 490 times. Tell me something new. But when you're filled with the Spirit, you hear you should forgive 70 times 7, and you realize, wow, Christ has forgiven me so many more times than 70 times 7. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve the 500th time he's forgiven me. But guess what? He forgives. And I want to just bring a verse out to us this evening. And this word, I just want to teach you a Hebrew word. Just like this is the Hebrew night, right? Even though we don't know, Pastor Chris, we don't know how to pronounce these words. But we're going to give our best shot. You actually did a pretty good job. I'm about to butcher this one. Look at in Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34. In the Old Testament, the word for forgiveness, there's many words for forgiveness. We have this idea that we forgive and we might have the idea that we forgive and we forget, or we forgive and we cover, or we forgive and we remove. But the richness of the Hebrew word really shows us that forgiving is something that's actually an act of the will. It's not something that's felt. It's not something that I have to try to figure out. It's rather that it's the decisive decision based upon the will. And God, who knows all things... He's omniscient. In some areas, has a bad memory. I remember doing ministry in a nursing home, and there was a sweet guy. His name was Sean, but he got in an accident, and he had a poor memory. And it was kind of fun because I could just say off-the-wall stuff and then see him the next week, and he had no clue that I ever said it. And every time he saw me, he was, like, so excited to see me. It was sad, but at the same time, he was so genuine and sweet. And I was thinking, maybe having a bad memory in some areas is actually a blessing. Sometimes I wish I could remember everything. But what if I could remember everything and remember every violation that's occurred against me? Some things are good to forget. And I think God sometimes gives us a little bit of that amnesia, and it's a gift. So when we see someone... We're not dealing with the memory of the violation that they've done against us. You know that, and we'll get to this verse, you know that with forgiveness, I said to the church the other day, I got a little piece of graphite stuck in my hand at work, and I didn't do anything about it. And guess what happened? A week later, got infected. Man, I wish I would have pulled that out right away. But how many people have you talked with and they're dealing with stuff 30 years ago? Something that happened to them when they were 15 and now they're 60. Man, I wish I had amnesia 
I wish I had a memory problem about what happened to me when I was younger. God has that in mind when he speaks in verse 34, and he says this, No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember. Now, the Hebrew word for remember is this word zakar. It means to remember something, to bring it up, to speak about it. Definition is to make known, to profess, to praise, to take to court, to bring it out into the open is the word to remember. But look, in this context, it's I will remember their sin no more. I will no longer profess. I will no longer bring into court. I will no longer remember. You say, God, how is it possible that you will not remember? I will will it that I will not remember. Wow, is that a lesson? Sometimes we get this question in the sense, how many times should I be, if I'm a victim, and don't take this the wrong way, but how many times should I take it, and even if I'm a doormat, should I be a doormat? All I could say is Jesus said to forgive 70 times 7. And when he says forgive, he says remember no more. Because that's how he forgives. He forgives and he takes it and removes it from his mind so that when he looks at you, he no longer holds that violation to your account. Do you know that when we are dealing with a person, we go, you can't trust that person. Don't trust them. Sometimes there's a lot of wisdom in that. But I think Jesus and God is so abundant And he's one that is taking it to a whole nother level where he says, when I'm looking at you and I'm assessing and I'm basing my decision on if I should or shouldn't give you that responsibility, I will not bring into the account of all the times you screwed up. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Praise the Lord, especially for someone who's screwed up so many times. Hey, amen. Hey, easy, Al. It's the truth. Thank you, Al. Now look, I'll give you one example and then we'll be done. Look in the book of Luke. Are you guys with me? Hey, it's a Sunday night. Praise the Lord, we're here. We're doing a little Bible lesson here. We, th- this is good for us. Because a lot of marriages need this. A lot of friendships need this. A lot of employees, a lot of bosses, and in the church we need this lesson. Because we are sometimes too smart for our own good. And we are too quick to remember and to bring back to the account of another person. Look at this in Luke chapter 22. And this is just a... This is an example. I preached on this last week. So Fed Hill Church, you're going to hear it again, but it's good. We need to hear it. A lot. Looking at Luke chapter 22 and verse 47. And this is the betrayal of Christ. 
Now, sometimes when we think of the betrayal of Christ, we think of Judas, which is true. We think of Peter's denial. But in all four Gospels, we have this account of this fight between Peter and the servant of the high priest. And I just want to bring one point out with it. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. The synoptic gospels Don't give the name, but John gives us the name of the man who cut off the ear. And who was it? Peter. The courageous one. The leader of the group. The one who was at the side of Jesus doing whatever needed to be done to advance the kingdom of God. But the interesting thing in this scenario is that Jesus has already said to the disciples that you should go. But Peter doesn't go. But rather, Peter sees that this cannot be the case, that Christ will be arrested and betrayed and tried and crucified. This cannot be the case. This cannot be the plan of God. Therefore, I'm going to take it up into my own arms, and I'm going to defend Christ. So what does he do? He takes his little dagger, and he goes for the head or the ear, I think he goes for the head, he misses the head, and he gets an ear. He's a bad shot. Ah! Cut the ear right off. Now, if you look in the Jewish law, if you were to assault the high priest, that was capital punishment. So this is Caiaphas's servant. It's not the high priest, but it's his servant. That's capital punishment. That means in Jewish law, you'll be stoned. Here's Christ, and the will of God is for him to go to the cross, and here's Peter screwing up the situation, thinking he's doing the right thing by correcting the wrong. How many times do we go into a situation and we think we're doing the right thing, but we're doing more damage because it's actually not the wisdom of God? Because we think we're bringing justice. We're thinking that we're dealing with that person the way that they really need to be dealt with. And Peter is having that mindset. And you got to think Jesus is, oh, Peter, just let me be. Let the plan roll out. Don't you know that the church is going to be built on your foundation? That you're an apostle and there's a future for you, but now you are in deep trouble. You could be arrested, definitely imprisoned, but maybe even you'll be on a cross with me today. You have offended the high priest. You've taken a sword to the servant of the high priest. There's going to be repercussions for that. But we take this miracle, which is Jesus' last miracle, and we might have overlooked it in the sense of what it means. What does Jesus do? Maybe creates a whole new ear. 
Peter is in deep, deep trouble. But what Jesus does is he redeems and takes the offense of what Peter does and heals the one who has been offended and gives him a brand new ear so there's no evidence of the act of what Peter just did. And you could say that's a cover-up. Who is Jesus to take away the act that Peter actually did? And Jesus would say, Peter, when the servant goes into the courts and says what you said, and they look for evidence, they'll see a brand new ear that you never did it. And it's because I'm going to pay for the violation that you just committed. Because you thought you were bringing justice on my behalf, but what you were actually doing was more damage. And it was violating that man, and it was putting you in a place of death or imprisonment. See, Jesus doesn't just not remember. Jesus takes away any evidence of your sin. There's no breadcrumbs. When you're in a court of law, he says, I remember no more, meaning I do not even pronounce in a court of law any evidence towards the iniquity that you have committed against me and other people. That's radical forgiveness. People go, no, that's not fair. Peter did that. That is not fair. That is cover up. No, the wrath of God was poured out on Christ so that Paul says we have the ministry of reconciliation. We have the ministry that we're able because of the blood of Christ to be able to say to someone who has violated, I forgive you. And I will do my best by the grace of God to remember it no more. What do you think that would do to a marriage What do you think that would do to a broken relationship? We are so good at keeping accounts, aren't we? But think that Christ cleared the account of Peter and imputed his righteousness so that when he stands before God, one day there's zero evidence of that act of denial of Christ and cutting the ear off. It is no more. It has vanished and it's paid for. Praise the Lord for that. Now let's look in Ephesians, last verse. You were thinking your bad memory was a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. We should have that where we remove it. And people say, Pastor, well, how do I, if I keep remembering it and remembering it, all I can say is bring it to the cross, sit at the foot of the cross, and bring it up, First Peter 1, bring it up and just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I, I, I should be the one on the cross. Lord, who am I that this little offense, how easily we can be offended and hold the grudge? Who does that person think they are? Peter says, take the example. If you're a sinner and you deserve judgment and you get judgment, what thing do you have to boast we deserve it but if you're perfect and you take that suffering and you don't complain about it that is Christ he, he deserved to complain but he didn't complain but rather what did he say father forgive them don't hold it to their account take it out of their, your mind 
Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How do you think Peter becomes a person who forgives? Because he's been forgiven much. What do we do when we can't forgive another person? We go to the cross and see how much God has removed from our account. We see how much grace he's poured out on us. And you know what it does to us? It humiliates us. Do you think Peter learned his lesson in that moment? How weak he was. Then he goes on to deny Christ. He goes, Christ just forgave me in the garden. Now I just deny him. I should be stoned. I just cut off the right ear of Malchus. I should be stoned. And now I'm here denying Christ again in John 21. We have a Peter who is just humble as can be, begging for grace. And he finds a Jesus that is saying, Peter, I'm not even bringing that up again. I don't even remember it, Peter. There's no evidence that you even did it because I already paid for it. You were living in a new life, Peter. Now go out and sin no more and forgive the same way that I have forgiven you. But we as humans, oh no, that is not right. That is not right. They cannot get away with that. I understand. But I think Jesus is saying, don't be too logical about this whole thing. Because mercy rejoices against judgment. We are not more, never more like our Heavenly Father than when we forgive. And when I say forgive, we forget. Look at it in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm sorry, Ephesians 4. Look at this in verse 42. Actually, let's look in, in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger. Where is bitterness? Have you ever met a kid that is five years old that's bitter? He's over there. Bitter. Just about to have a stroke because he's so bitter. He's so angry. I can't believe he did that again. My dad, stinking guy. Kids aren't bitter. Why? Because they've never experienced the hardships of life. They've never been stuck with the graphite. They've never stepped on the thorn. They've never been stabbed in the heart. Have you met a person who's 65 years old that's really bitter? Yeah. We all can be that way, can't we? What's the remedy? Forgive. Forgive. Be a doormat. Be like, I don't even remember that happening. How do we do that? It's impossible with man, but it's possible with God. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger. Man, can't we get fired up? Man, I can't believe that person... That person at the family reunion said that again. They're always saying that. You get in the car and you're, oh, I can't handle it anymore. I'm done with those family reunions. I'm Next time I say that, I'm going to stand up and really give it to them. Right? We all been there? Pacing back and forth. Oh, man, I can't believe they said that to me. Do they know what I do? Do they know what my life looks like? Is that what is going to resolve the problem? Is that going to resolve the relationship? 
Oh, I feel like they belittle me every single time. Is that going to resolve the relationship? If we want to isolate ourselves, if we want to get deeper into our own sin and our own unforgiveness, but look at what it says. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger. We all, we listen, this is me. We're all there sometimes, aren't we? But praise God, there's a way out. Clamor, slander. I'm going to get on the phone right now. I'm going to just tell people who that person really is. Sick of it. I'm going to expose them. Put it away from you. Cut it out. Cut it out. Just stop. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to resolve anything. But look, verse 32. Be kind. You know, like a lot of times with problems, we can talk a lot. A lot of times people don't need to hear what you have to say. They just need you to be kind. Sometimes it's really hard. But sometimes all people need is for you just to be there and to listen to them. And just be kind to them. And then say, okay, thank you, good talking to you, and you leave. You don't open your mouth, you don't give your opinion, and you don't bring justice into it because you feel like they deserve it. But rather you're tender-hearted. That's Christ. Christ is tender-hearted because that's how people change. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Pastor, how do I forgive? Go to the cross. Those who have been forgiven much, what? Love much. I think sometimes I don't think I'm that bad. Then I go to the cross and I realize how tender, how kind, how compassionate, how merciful, how gracious. And if anyone should bring it up when he's evaluating me, it should be God. But he goes, Justin, I don't hold it. I don't even remember it. There's no evidence of it. When devil comes to you and tells you who you are, guess what? There is no case because there is no evidence. You remember it. But let me wash you clean of every violation that you've committed and also the violations against you. And learn this, be like my heavenly father and forgive much. Isn't that an amazing message? So simple, but yet so hard and impossible. But with Christ, when you're filled with the spirit, and every day when that violation comes in your mind, I need another glass of water because I need water every day. Lord, give me that heart as I walk into this evil world where I could step on a lot of thorns today and get really angry and really bitter. But if I apply this truth in my life by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I can lay my head on the pillow and say, I go to bed with no wrath.
That's what his promise is to us. It's not for you to go around and to right every wrong. It's for you to be a vessel of his grace and forgiveness and to be lights in the world by showing other people that same love we have received. Amen? Father, we just thank you that you have been so kind that you remember no more. And there's people here tonight that have gone through tremendous things. People have stolen from them. People have transgressed against them, broken promises and covenants, mistreated, spoken behind backs, been angry with, all of it. And we as humans are just crying out and saying, Lord, if it's up to us, I'm bitter and I'm angry. But Lord, I do not want to be that way. We want to be joyful in light and somewhat ignorant. Love thinks what? No evil. Love covers a multitude of sin. And Father, help each one of us in here tonight with this truth that we know so well, but by your Spirit you can apply it in our life in every aspect, every relationship. And then we can find true freedom and true joy. And it could be that I'm going around and I have no joy because I got a piece of graphite in my hand or I've stepped on a thorn and it's infected. But I need to learn this again and again, Lord, to forgive. Father, we just thank you, Father, just for this truth. We thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, they all said, amen, amen. Thank you, church.